Hey guys, so glad that you're back with us. I hope that you were able to engage in worship as uh, we, we all get to together each week. I'm so thankful that we have truths that we can claim and proclaim and sing out. Uh, as you sing out or as you just listen and pray through the lyrics, I want to continue to encourage you to engage with that time because that is a, a refreshing time. Worship is such a powerful time for us to spill truths over our lives about who God is and remind ourselves, remind others, and, and lift God's name high. So let's do that. And as we continue to work through the Psalms, we've kind of seen all the themes from lament to praise to trust in God, to hope in the Lord. God is faithful. Let's remember, we're going to continue to hit those themes tonight through Psalm 20, but Psalm 20 is really a psalm about pray. How are you going to pray? Who are you going to pray for? Who is praying for you? It's a, it's a song that David wrote as a victory song, as a song that we could all sing together, reminding us of how to pray to God, what to pray to him about. But really, it's a psalm about hope. Where are we finding our hope? Because our hope should be in the Lord. And hope is it's passive and it's intentional. Hope is a real thing that could really drive our thoughts, drive our attitudes, uh, it drives our expectations, and it leads us toward positivity, negativity. Hope is powerful, and hope matters a ton. I think there's some, some real things that we place our hope in that are noble but disappointing. There's some positive things that we put our hope in that continue to let us down. And so tonight, I'm hoping through our time, there again, hope hoping through our time that we would place our hope in God and recognize the importance and application of what that looks like. So as we pray for each other, as we pray to God, it's a demonstration of where our hope lies and what our hope teaches and spills out. So how are we hoping in God's help? I know this week was back to school week here in Garland and it looked different than it ever has before. And so it's my sincerest hope that it's been successful. It's it's been a healthy change for us. It's been a decent start to the school year, but I know it's hard. I know it's different. And so I think that as we study hope, as we study the scriptures, we will be drawn to re remember that God is present in this season, that God knows what our families are going through. Whether you're adjusting to virtual learning for the first time or you've been doing it for years as a homeschooler, whatever it may be, we know that God is at work in this season and that God will bless this season. If, if you haven't seen it already, he's already at work providing blessing. Through education, through family time, through commitments, he's redeeming this season to himself because he will get glory through this season. And he already has gotten glory through a big chunk of this season as well. So as we dive in to Psalm 20, we're gonna read a few verses together. I want you to think of these verses as, as prayers because each one of them is a cry out to God. It's, it's a prayer. It's a one-liner that God wants to hear, that we get to deliver to God. And then we're going to break it out. What are the things that we're praying for? So let's dive into Psalm 20, verse 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. 
May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. So that's our first chunk. And this chunk, it, it's, it's filled with this word may. May this happen. May that happen. May that happen. And if, if you didn't, if you follow along in your own Bible and you're reading the NIV or NASB or whichever translation, this is from the ESV. So your word may may be a little bit different. But I want to define that word because it, it represents the thought behind what is happening here from David. May means it's a, it's a preference. Please. Would this please happen? It's a statement of hope, a desire of purpose, a desire of fruition. Would this outcome happen? Would you find it in your favor to do these things? So it's a question, it's a plea, it's a request, but it's done so in hope of the outcome and the answer being what we're asking for. And so as David writes this, he's, he's spelling out seven different ways that we pray using the word may. And so may these things happen. How can we pray these things? And the first thing that he prays is that God would hear. May you answer in the day of trouble. So for him to answer, we need you to hear us. So how are we praying with a reminder that God will answer? God, may you hear our cries. May you know our situation. May you reveal yourself to be empathetic to understanding our situation. So may you hear us. It's plain and simple. God, before I ask you anything, before I request anything from you, the very first thing I, I want is for you to hear me. And it's kind of a redundant ask because God is relational and God wants to hear us and he does hear us. But it puts our faith in perspective. My hope is in you, God, so would you hear me? Because I don't care if other people hear my requests. I, I want you to hear my request. And many of us are in a season where we think, he doesn't hear us. I'm praying wrong, or I've got sin in my life that's preventing me from hearing an answer to a prayer, or God's not listening. He doesn't care. And those aren't true. God is at work in the listening. He's hearing us right now. He's sanctifying us and sharpening us and shaping us into the people that he's called us to be. Even if it seems like he's not answering, sometimes we get on the other side of a situation and we realize that God was answering each step along the way. It just wasn't the answer we were looking for. But when our hope is in God, we can easily say, God, we, we hope in you, but would you please hear us and answer? And then also in verse 1, he, God protects. So God hears us, but he also protects. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So this is, this is powerful. It's another please, please protect us, God. But not just some random person I'm talking to, but the God of Jacob. In, in this psalm, it's written by David. And so the Jews, God's chosen people, know the God of Jacob because the God of Jacob is a God who protects us and brings his plan to fru fruition. And so there's power in his name. The God of Jacob is a, is a statement of God's character. God, you made a way when there wasn't a way. That's what they know about Jacob's story. God, you heard us. We bent your ear and we continued to pray and pray and pray. And you heard us and you touched us and you helped us to carry out the plan. That's the God of Jacob. 
and we get to see his character in protection. God, there's going to be a lot of people against us. There's going to be seasons where things are against us. The odds are against us. And those seasons are really easy to lose hope. But you're the God of Jacob. And so would the God of Jacob hear us and would he protect us? Because in your character, your, your name is part of your character. And we talked about that last week. We've talked about that a few times. God's name reveals so much about him. And there's different studies you could do about the names of God. And the Jews did a much better job than we do in Hebrew because we just call him God or Father God or Triune God. But they have names of God for every bit of his character. God provides. God protects. God supports. God encourages. These are all names that we call him in a moment where he's needed the most. I need you to be the God of protection. So I'm going to call you the God of Jacob. So would you answer me in that? And his character shines through, through the name that he has. In verse 2, God provides. May you send help from the sanctuary and give support. So as, as God provides, he sees what we need before we're even asking for it. God, would you give us what we need? And people are asking for a divine intervention, essentially, because they're specific in saying, would you send help from the sanctuary and give your support to Zion? Those are spiritual places where we encounter God, where God is. And so for them, it was saying, God, I know you're in these places. I know you have a plan for these places. But would you show up through your supernatural power, through divine intervention, and would you provide for us? And this is an, an Old Testament way of saying, God, we don't have a way out, but you provide it. We know you will. We don't know when. But as people from New Testament, as we get to see how God's story unfolds, we get to see that God is providing. Because of Jesus, God has provided. He's given us grace for every moment. In Hebrews 4, it, it talks about how we get to ask for grace, and God is already giving grace. And he's pouring grace over us because of Jesus. And so this psalm is going to point us forward to Jesus a few different times, and that's a great reminder. As, as scripture is, is bound and delivered, it's got this same message, this good news that we have a God who hears us and he's protecting us and he's providing for us. And even more so, verse 3, may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. God forgives. So it doesn't say, God, would you forgive us? But God, would you remember the offerings I bring and the sacrifices, and would they be sufficient to be forgiven, essentially? May you regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. And so this is a specific way of asking for forgiveness. Because back then, when you messed up, when you dishonored God, where you disobeyed him, you, you brought a burnt offering. You made an offering on the altar to God, and you were forgiven. Your slate was wiped clean. But then you'd have to keep doing that every time you messed up. And so as, as this was designed to be sung by a crowd, they're saying, God, would, would the sacrifice of us as a people, of, of our leader, would that sacrifice cover us, be sufficient for all of us to be forgiven? And so that points us back to Jesus. Is God, there's been a sacrifice, an offering made. We don't have to make those anymore. So would that sacrifice of Jesus be enough? So we're, we're putting our hope in 
our identity and our, our remembrance in that sacrifice of Jesus. Because you forgive us. And so, God, if, if you forgive us, would you help us remember that as our identity? Remember that as where we're at with you. We are forgiven. God, help me remember that your sacrifice was enough. Because otherwise, I'm going to get caught up in trying to fix this myself. How can I make things right with God? How can I redeem this relationship? And we're trying to put the ball back in our court. What are the things I can do to fix this when really we can't do anything? Everything's already been done. God, help me put my hope in your mercy. And because of your mercy, would I be forgiven? And your mercy is displayed through putting your son on the cross, the perfect sacrifice. And so would you look upon that sacrifice with regard and favor for me? Because that sacrifice was sufficient. And as, as this is a group's prayer, would we pray that? God, would we remember that you found favor in that sacrifice? You looked upon it with regard. That you showed up and you remembered that offering. So as you hear us, as you protect us, as you provide for us, you're forgiving us as well. And that's a statement we need to remember is that we are forgiven. We've run far and we've been drawn back in. We've been consistently disobedient, but our slate keeps getting wiped clean because of the perfect sacrifice. So God, would you forgive us is the prayer. May you find that sacrifice pleasing. And I, I think we get to see that as Jesus finishes with, it is finished. The debt has been paid is, is the last thing that Jesus says. And so if the debt has been paid, then that means that we're taken care of. And we're forgiven because he raises from the grave. And he, he walks in life. And he opens the door for grace so that we can be invited into that. And that's his provision. And that's his protection. And that's him hearing us. Because for years and years and years, people prayed, God save us. God help us. God protect us. And so this verse 3 of God forgive us is a revelation of that protection and that provision. Because God has heard us. And his answer is providing his son as the ultimate sacrifice. So God, hear us. God, would you protect us? Would you provide a way out? And would that offering, would that sacrifice be sufficient? And he knows it's sufficient, but we need to preach that to ourselves daily to remember that it's sufficient. There's weight in this one verse. It's evidenced that the last word, selah, we talked about that. That's a pause. It's put there for effect, musical effect. Let's, let's focus on this. Let's stop down. Remember what we just said, and I think that points to verse 3 is important. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. Rest. Pause. Wow. God, you, you do forgive us. Would we dwell on that? Would I repeat to myself over and over that that sacrifice was acceptable to God to redeem me so I can be forgiven? I can be chosen. I can be set free because he's already done the one thing necessary for it to happen. So I don't have to keep spinning my wheels. I get to see him at work. And this is, this is important. And so David said, all right, let's, let's pause here. The music is building up to this moment and pause. These, this moment right here is going to point us to the fact that God is the one who finds favor in the sacrifice. So I want that to sit in. God, your offering was enough for 
me to be forgiven. That's powerful. And, and David continues to claim truths and speak truths. And the prayer continues for two more verses. But we pause there because of its weight and significance. And then we see there's three more things that God, that, that the people are praying for. May you hear. May you provide. May you protect. May you forgive. And then we go on to number five. God fulfills. In verse four, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. God fulfills. So not only does he fulfill, but he is the fulfillment of those plans. And so would, would God do that? They're asking, God, would your plans come to fruition through us? But also, would your will and our will align? Would the things I want to happen also be the things that you want to happen? And that doesn't mean God's changing what he wants to happen, but he's helping us realize what we really want to happen. As Jesus is teaching us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he says, we, we pray in this way. And part of that is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, would, would our, our plans coming to fulfillment match your kingdom coming to heaven? Would your will be done, not my will? Because I want to put my hope in you, in your plan. And so would my plan align so closely with yours that we get to see that you've answered us, that you've heard us, and you've provided for us through fulfilling those plans? Sometimes we, we put our hope in so many other things that we forget that our plans are not always the best plans. We put our hope in the outcome of a job interview, of an election, of a medical study. We've put our hope in the outcome of sporting teams. And, and we finally got sports back, and, and many of us are like, great, now we get to see how disappointing all of the Dallas teams can be in the playoffs. Or we're going to see how great all of them are and elite or probably somewhere in between. But if we put all our hope in something other than God, we're going to be disappointed because we want him to fulfill his plans through making our plans like his. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, would you fulfill our plans? And would they align with yours? And the sixth thing they pray is, God, would you deliver? Verse 5, may we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. God, would you deliver us? And they're not blindly, hopelessly wishing for this. They're praying that it would happen. God, we're ready to hang up some banners. So would you give us what we need to do that? And what we need to do that would be victory, deliverance. And it's something only you can do. It's something only you can provide. So God, we, we want to have the party. We want to throw a, a big celebration about your victory, your provision, your deliverance. So would you do that? Would you deliver us? And, and would you see us fit to celebrate that? And as you're faithful to see your plans through, would we get to see that and celebrate well? Not because we want a battle, not because we want a war, not because we willed it to be, but because we saw you deliver us. And so we're going to shout for joy. And we're going to hang up banners. And that's, a, that's an ancient practice. They would hang banners in the temple that proclaim truths about God's character and what he's done. And we do it today in sports arenas. 
We won a Super Bowl. We're going to put a banner up. We won a Stanley Cup. We're going to put a banner up. We won the division. Let's put a banner up. And we hang these banners in arenas all over to remember what was done. And so me, as a, as a Dallas Stars fan, I can go to American Airlines Arena and I can see the banner hanging up that they won the Stanley Cup in 1998. And I remember it very vividly. I remember staying up late to watch one of the games, well into the morning. And so when I go there, I think, wow, we, we won the Stanley Cup. I can't ice skate. I'm no good at hockey. But I celebrate what was done because I got to be, I got to see it come to fruition. I didn't see them hang the banner, but I remember what happened for them to hang the banner. And on the other side, there's a banner about the Dallas Mavericks winning the NBA championship, the finals. And I, I'm no good at basketball. I'm actually not even that tall. So I probably wouldn't make the league. But I get to remember what was done and celebrate it. And so these people are saying, God, you're going to do a big thing. We ask that you would, you would deliver us. You would do that big thing. We're making the banners already. We've got the parade planned. You show up. You do the big thing. Would you be so gracious to do that? And then the last thing they pray, God answers. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. So God, would you hear our prayers and fulfill them? And as we continue praying, as we build a prayer life, as we ask you for things, would we draw closer and closer to your will, your plan, your character, and your calling on our lives to see that you answer prayer how you see fit? But would our prayers align with your wishes? That's a powerful place to be. That's a mature place to be. So hear us and answer us. It's the bookend. I'm going to start with hear us. God, would you listen to what I'm about to ask you and answer me? And at the end, God, you've heard our prayer. Would you answer us? And this is a, a big chunk of this psalm is all about how we should pray. And these, these prayers are for essentially the king right now. So when he, may he send you help from the sanctuary. God, would you send the king help? Because we're following someone. And would that someone be so close to you so that we can just lean in and support? May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. God, as the king asks, would you answer? Because he is a man after your heart. And so this, this was very much in the political and religious structure of the day. But for us, it gets to be about us. God, I have asked you these things. Would you answer me? As we get to enter into a relationship together. I don't, I don't need a priest to make an offering on my behalf. I don't need a lamb to bring up to the sanctuary. Because of Jesus, I get to enter into that conversation directly. So would you fulfill my plans? Would you hear my petitions and answer me? Or as we collectively ask, as we collectively pray and plan. But ultimately, would they align so closely with what you want, with your will? And would your will be done on earth as in heaven? through us, through our obedience, through our faith, our trust in you. And we put our hope in you because you're the only one who can do these things. Because you hear us, you protect us, you provide for us, and you forgive us. And then after you forgive us, you fulfill your plans. You fulfill our plans and your plans. You deliver us from where we were toward where we need to be because you have answered us. 
So that's a powerful passage of prayer. It's just, it's just five verses, the first half-ish. 60% of this psalm is all about, here's the things we're praying for. And then as we pivot, we go from hope in God, hope in God alone, hope in God's plans. Let's hope. And then we pivot to let's have faith in God's salvation. Because after they're done praying, we bring verse 6 into the picture. Let's read verse 6 and 7. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trusted chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So this, this is a shift. May this happen, may this happen, may this happen, may this happen. But now I know that the Lord saves us. So we've gone from make this petition to let's, let's remember what we're about. Let's affirm our beliefs here. Let's publicly state and sing together that we know this to be true. God saves his anointed. So I've asked all these things and I'm putting my hope in you because I have faith in my salvation. I have faith that you have saved us, that your answer has come from heaven, that you have delivered us by your right hand. And now at his right hand sits the Son of God, Jesus, who spent his whole life showing us how to live and then died the death that that our sin caused. And then he raised from the grave into the newness of life to be at the right hand, the mighty right hand of God. So God saves his anointed. So we've prayed these things, and now we all need to remember that we believe these things. Let's repeat this. Let's remind ourselves of this. I've, I've told you time and time again that one of the most important things we can be doing is to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And that gives us a chance to know what the gospel is, to remember that it's good news and be prepared in season and out of season to deliver that good news to others who don't know it. And so verses 6 and 7 are a rehearsal. Uh, we claim this to be true, but we need to keep saying it so we don't forget it. It's like, I need to keep reading the Bible because the moment that I don't, I'm going to drift away. I'm going to focus on myself because I'm bent to sin. I'm drawn to sin. And not that reading your Bible keeps you from sin, but when I'm drawn into God's word, I'm remembered about his promises. I'm remembered that he can help us hold every thought captive. I'm remembered that I'm reminded that there's deception and people will deceive us with their charm and their wit and they'll draw us away from him. So if I'm on the lookout for things like that, then I can resist them through God's spirit. But if I'm not learning and reminding myself about those things, then I'm going to be drawn into them. So verse 6 is a rehearsal, a reminder. Let's remember this all the time so that we don't turn into the people from verse 7. So let's remember that God saves his anointed. He's answered us from holy heaven, and and the answer comes from his mighty right hand where Jesus sits, and Jesus has saved us. And if we don't remember that, if we don't rehearse that, if we don't remind ourselves of that, then we're going to end up trusting in chariots and horses. And those are going to let us down. Chariots have wheels that fall off. Horses run so hard that they fall down and die. So would we not do that? Preach to ourselves every day. Preach the good news. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. 
but you've set me free. The wages of my sin are death. That's what I owe. But the good gift of God is eternal life. The gift that you give me despite my sin, despite my brokenness, my continued disobedience, you give me life. And you want me to have a full life, a life that honors you, a life that allows me to enjoy good things through your grace because I'm not defined by my past anymore. And so would I have eyes to see people today as I put my hope in you and have faith in your salvation, would I see people today through the lens that you have for them? And would I remember that some people trust in other things and hope in other things and would I be used as a beacon to remind them of where their hope and where their trust can be? So some people hope in chariots, others in horses, which is just synonyms for means. Some people hope in different means, but our, our means, our hope is in God. And we could practice other means so long as they point us to our hope in God. Some modern day chariots and horses that we hope in are money, obviously. We put all our hope in the stock market. In retirement. We put all our hope in being debt-free. We put all our hope in having cash on hand or having money in the bank or careers. All my hope is in becoming the, the senior director or I want to be a manager of this place or I should be the supervisor or I should be the shift leader or whatever the boss is. And when I get there, then I'll know I've made it. Then I'll know I'm okay. Then I know I'm set. But when our hope is in those things, then our hope fades as quickly as they do. Because one day you won't be the manager. You won't be the boss. You won't be the supervisor. More money leads to more problems, as they say. So if we're hoping in those things, we're going to be let down by those things. Technology. We see this all the time. Technology is a beautiful thing until it stops working. If we put all our hope into relaxing and watching TV, and then all of a sudden our TV doesn't work, we're going to be disappointed, hopeless. We're, we're kind of in a season right now at our house where I, I get a little bit of time to relax and watch TV or even watch the Rangers games or the Mavs games after the kids have gone to bed. But our TV's doing this thing because everyone in our neighborhood's running a bunch of electricity where every 45 minutes or so, it just turns off. And then it has to slowly reboot, power on. It's really old TV too, but I have to be interrupted. And so if all my hope is in watching the game without being interrupted, I'm gonna be disappointed every 45 minutes. If I know that, man, the only way I can get through this day is to just have that an hour to just watch TV, to unwind, to enjoy the game, whatever it is. I'm going to be disappointed. Or I'm going to finish that game and realize that didn't satisfy like I hoped it would. Would our hope be in something else? Image. I've been, I've been working to be more fit and healthy. My wife and I have both been working out together for 33 days now. Every day we do, we do something. Yoga or hit or cardio or lifting, whatever it is. And if my hope was that my physical image would be better, I have all my hope in abs or all my hope in just being shredded to the max and being a swolger, as they say, I'm going to be disappointed when I realize my metabolism just doesn't keep up. 
that now that I'm north of 25, possibly even north of 30, depending on how I look today, I'm going to be disappointed in the fact that my image can't be where I want it to be. And I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to do a new skincare routine. I'm going to lift more weights. I'm going to run further, run faster. I'm only going to eat kale and, and pea protein or whatever it is. I'm only going to do these things. I'm going to be consistently disappointed because our bodies weren't designed to last forever. And I'm going to get older. And, and life is going to have its strain on my body. But that doesn't have to be where my hope is. Because image will disappoint us. But God will not. Some of us have so much hope in religion. We see right now as there's much division on being able to practice our religion, some would say. Some people believe that we need to be together in person in our building. And some of us believe that, well, because other people are doing it, why can't we? And our church has taken a stance to say we want to steward well our time, our talents, and the flock within our care. And right now, stewarding well means not necessarily meeting in person for safety, for health. And just because we're not in person doesn't mean we can't do all the things that we need to do to practice our religion. When religion isn't going to save, practice isn't going to save. God alone saves, and God redeems, and God provides, and God protects, and he's working in this season through a computer screen, through a phone screen, through a podcast, through some earbuds, whatever it is, God, God is working to draw people to himself. God is revealing his tender care and mercy for us through how we're able to worship together. And this season is such a blessing to so many people. But some people are, are, are missing the blessing. They can only see the trees. They can't see the forest. But there's blessing right now in our being able to interact and gather like this. It's powerful. And it's fruitful. We're seeing lives change. People from around the world are getting to experience God's good news in a way they never have before because it's more available. And there's more opportunity for it. And if our hope is being able to, to gather in person, if our hope is being able to practice our religion, we're going to be disappointed because that's not where our hope can be fulfilled. That's not where deliverance comes from. God is not in the building we don't have an ark of a covenant that we need to follow around to see where God might be, the presence of God. We are that ark. God living through us, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper that he sent to be with us as children of the redeemed, as people who are co-heirs with Christ. We get to have hope in him, not in a building. And this, this is a nice building. And we've done a pretty good job stewarding it. But the building's going to get old. The roof's going to leak. The HVAC's going to go out. It's, it's just how it goes. But our hope isn't in this building lasting forever. Our hope is that whether we're in this building or outside this building, that we would be used to share the good news of Jesus with others. That we would be imperfect people leaning into the perfect love of Christ. And leaning into that doesn't require us being together physically right now. And I hope I didn't upset you by saying that. I hope I haven't stirred up a bunch of comments there in the comment section. But in reality, we need to make sure we're not putting our hope in chariots, our hope in horses, our hope in buildings, our hope in jobs, our hope in the government, in elected officials. 
We can hope things happen through them. We could trust their leadership, as Romans tells us to. We can trust things to work for us, for people to encourage us. But if all our hope is bent around that one thing, that one person, that one piece of technology, that one job, that one dollar figure, we're going to be disappointed. Because hope develops our expectation. And if our expectation is in God, we won't be disappointed. But if our expectation is in chariots and horses, we will be disappointed. So let's put our hope in the right place. And then David closes out with this. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So these horses and chariots will collapse. They will fall. But not just them, the people that trust in them. But we trust in the name of the Lord. Some people trust in chariots. Some people trust in horses. And those people collapse and fall. They're disappointed because things disappoint us. But God is not a thing. He's above things. He's above all. And we rise and stand upright because of our hope in him and our faith in his salvation. And this comes back to where we're trusting. We'll say it again and again. Trust in the Lord. I will trust in God because I have hope that he will answer me. He will hear me. He will protect me. He'll provide for me and he forgives me. I have hope that he would deliver me. I have hope that he would answer my prayers. And I have faith that he will continue to do what he's done, which is all of those things. So we rise and we stand upright. Because the times we put our hope in other things, we're disappointed. And we've seen that time and time again. We hope, well, now that this person's in charge, things are going to be better. And then we're disappointed. Well, now that this is a law, everything's going to be fine. But then we're disappointed. Well, now that this tragedy happened, people are aware so our hope is that things would be redeemed from this tragedy and things go back to normal. But when our hope is in God, which is not always easy, and it's not always the immediate response that we have, when our hope is in God, he won't disappoint us. And God hears us. He sees our suffering. He sees our pain. He sees our discomfort on whichever, whichever level we see it. Some of us, the most uncomfortable thing we're going through right now is, I can't go back to school. I can't go back to work. I can't leave my house. And that's, that's uncomfortable. Some of us are struggling with disease and illness, or injury, or traumatic loss. And he sees that, and he hears us. And when we put our hope in him, we get to stand upright. We get to rise. Oh, Lord, save the king. God, would we as a people be saved by your deliverance as we continue to follow, as we continue to lean in? So where are we putting our hope, our ultimate trust? It should be in God. And I think everything in this psalm reminds us of the structure that we get to live in right now. We need to be a praying people. May you, may you, may you. We need, we need to be those people that are praying consistently. And as we're praying, would we be confident in the leadership that God has established? The leadership at work, the leadership in the government, 
the leadership in our homes, the leadership in whichever development we live in, we need to be confident in the leader that God has put and know that he's, he's going to redeem the situation, whether they're good or not. And would we be sovereign? Would we trust in the sovereign Lord? God alone is sovereign. God knows yesterday and he knows tomorrow and he has a plan for all of it. So where are we putting our hope? So my, my challenge, my response for us is that would we pray this prayer, God, would you hear us? Would you protect us and provide for us and forgive us? God, would you deliver us and fulfill our plans so they might be like yours and would you answer our prayer? Would we pray that prayer? And then lastly, would we join together in continuing to challenge each other and grow in understanding what hope in God looks like? And so we've had a number of people participate in our reading plans. And we don't write them, but I vet them, I read through them. And this week we're reading a plan called The Hope. And it's all about the hope we have in Jesus. And we'll put a link up there if you want to join us. It's five days, I believe, where we're, we're just going to read. There's usually two or three Bible verses we read a short devotional, and then we all talk about it in the comments. And it's a great way for us to grow together in understanding hope because we get to see that we're not alone in misunderstanding or we get to see it in a new perspective that truly does bless us. So I want you to join us in praying Psalm 20. I want you to join us in reading the reading plan. And I want you to continue to join us as we worship together, as, as we grow here through this time together. And we continue to connect with each other. I'd like to close this in prayer, and then we can head out. Let's pray. God, you are good, and you've proven time and time again that you're worthy of being a God we can put our hope and trust in. So would you remove the hurdles, the blocks that are preventing us from putting our hope and trust in you? Would you continue to remove the, the blinders that we have on so that we might see you more and hope in you more and trust in you more? Would you strengthen our faith through your presence alone? And would you be glorified through what we're doing here as we worship, as we learn together, as we meet together digitally, or as we have groups meeting in person, would you continue to bless us by using this time to honor you and to strengthen our faith? We thank you so much for Jesus who opened the door to hope for us. It's in his great name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be back here Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and next Wednesday at 7. We hope to see you there.